Welcome. I don't have notes for you this week, uh, and so you can sit back and relax, but we are diving into a new series entitled Famous, a little three-part series called Famous. And um, in my family, specifically, not really family, but specifically with my kids, I'm, I'm pretty famous. <laughs> um, I kind of like to cook, and I don't want to brag, but here I go. Um, I'm not too bad. And on Saturdays, one of the things I actually love to do is uh, make waffles from scratch or make pancakes from scratch. And my kids call it Dad's World Famous Waffles. You know, Dad's World Famous Pancakes. And and it's not even limited to waffles and pancakes. I know you're shocked. Uh, You would think that I could only be famous in one area, but no. My grilled cheeses, to die for. I mean, wow. Uh, Steak, you have not tasted a good steak until you taste mine. At least ask my kids. Dad, are you making your famous steak? Now, I got to be honest. I started this whole famous business. (laughs) Every time I make anything for my kids, I come out with this grand fanfare and, and declare to my kids, kids, here is dad's world famous, and then you fill in the blank, and they eat it up. So much so, I mean, I love the stage that my kids are in right now, because right now, I am the greatest thing since sliced bread. I can do no wrong. I'm their hero. They think I can lift anything, and you know, even so much so, my youngest son, Miles, during the Olympics, he looks at me and says, hey, Dad, why don't you go do the Olympics and win a gold? I asked him, sure, what, 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 what one do you want me to do? I'll do that. No, no problem. No, but I mean, that's the world that I live in right now. I'm famous to them. And, he, and here's what I know. That season's not going to last much longer. <laughs> it's just not going to last too much longer. I already have a middle schooler, and sometimes she begins to roll her eyes at me like, Dad, <laughs> you, you know. Here's what's crazy is... Um, is pretty soon, here's what I know, that I'm going to move from being the best dad in the whole world and you can do no wrong to dad, you know absolutely nothing, <laughs> right? You have no idea. And dad, you're actually not funny. Your, your jokes? And then, and then the reality, dad, you're actually a bad dancer. <laughs> the other day I was... I was thinking about this, and I realized I'm actually at the halfway point of parenting my kids in my house. That I'm halfway there, and then another, the second half they're gonna, is primarily the teenage half, and then they're going to be long gone. And as a result, I began to wrestle with a, an old question in a new way. I began to wrestle with a question that, that is so deeply powerful. And, and I think Michael Hyatt, I don't know if you ever read anything by him, he's fantastic. I think he's right when he says, uh, the questions we ask shape our lives. And I began to wrestle with this question. It's not a new question, but when it began to hit me in a brand new reality. And I remember first when I started asking this question kind of in this new way, uh, is I took my daughter on a trip to Mexico uh, this last year. I think, there we go. And I, and I took her to Mexico, and we, 
my hope and dream is every time my kids uh, turn 10, I want to take them on this trip uh, that would expand their view of God, that would help foster and grow their faith, and, and, and develop uh, the passions God's put in them. And, and so he's going like, ever since my daughter was little, she's always had a real heart for orphans. She's always prayed for and had a longing. She's always had this real tender heart towards kids who didn't have mommies and daddies. And so I called one of my friends who runs an orphanage in Mexico and said, hey, can we go and visit your orphanage and hang out? And so we made preparations, booked the flight. And now here's what was interesting. The closer we got to that trip, the more nervous I became. I, I began to wrestle with all types of uncertainty. I, I just got so nervous because I, I realized I'm taking my little girl, she's not so little anymore, but my little girl to Mexico. And I began to obsess around all the things that could go wrong. I mean, what if... What if the drug cartel kidnaps us? You know, I mean, that's a legit concern, at least in my world. What if there's a med medical emergency? What if something happens? I mean, I was losing sleep over it, and so we went. On the plane ride home, we were safe, we were sound. None of the things that I feared or obsessed about took place. And I remember sitting back and listening to my daughter talk about that moment, talk about getting to play with the orphans and how that had impacted her, getting to go out one really cold night and share Jesus and, and seeing what God did in this really poor neighborhood. I, I remember her talking about, well, um, you know, getting to play soccer with the kids and obviously the amazing tacos. And it's in that moment that I began to ask this question. Okay, what do I really want to be known for as a dad? I mean, what is it that I really want my kids to remember about me? When they grow up and they talk about me as an adult, what do I want them to be talking about? See, it's not a new question, but it's a powerful question. We live in such a hurried, fast-paced world that it feels like the list of demands and to-dos hit us at, a, at this rapid rate. It feels like the waves of, of, of life just keep hitting us and hitting us that we rarely take time, we rarely stop to ask such a critical question. What? What do I long to be known for? Because here's the reality. For every single one of us, you're famous. Maybe not on, you know, the celebrity side of things. But you're famous for something to the closest someone's in your life. You are famous for something. You're famous for something to the closest someone's in your life. It's what you are known for, what you're remembered for, what people will talk about you. And here's what's so powerful. We get to determine what we'll be famous for. We get to determine what we'll be remembered for. We get to determine what we'll be known for. 
because we, we know this, we already know this, that the decisions we make today, our responses that we have today, determine how we're remembered tomorrow, right? The decisions we make. And so it's so important that we stop, wrestle with this question. What do you really want to be known for? There's this passage in Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul's writing to this church in Thessalonica, and, and I love the way he opens it up, because I believe it speaks right to the heart of this question, right to the heart of what is it that you and I really want to be known for. If you want to go there, you certainly can. If not, you can sit back and listen. It's 1 Thessalonians 1, chapter, uh, verse 2. Here's how the way the Apostle Paul opens up. He says it this way. He says, we always thank God for all of you. I'm going to put that right there. For all of you mentioning you in our prayers. When the Apostle Paul starts his conversation, his letter to this church in Thessalonica, here's the way he starts. He says, hey, guess what? When we remember you, when we think about you, when we pray for you, we thank God for you. Like, like not just we thank God for you because remember that one time you did that one thing and so like we thank God for you that one time. You showed up to our door and you helped us move that one time but then we never heard from you. Uh, you showed up and you gave that one time but then nothing ever happened. He says, no, no, no. We always thank God for you. Like the way you lived your life, the consistency of what you were doing caused our response to go, huh, thank God for you. Thank God for him. Thank God for her. Now, for me, that about sums up what I want to be known for. Like with my kids, what I want, long for them to say as adults, as when they talk about me behind their back and they're going to do it because I've done it myself. Hi, mom. <laughs> what I long for them to say is thank God. What I long for my wife to be able to say at the end of our days is through all the highs and ups and downs and all the rest is her to say, thank God for you. My closest friends, my community, my church, because isn't that, I mean, I don't, maybe I'm just, maybe it's just me, but don't, isn't that what you want? Like, like when people think about you, what you want to be known for, like their first knee-jerk, knee-jerk response is like, wow, thank God for you. And here's what I love, is Paul doesn't just leave us there. He tells us why he thanks God for them. Because I don't know about you, but that's how I want to be remembered. And so I need to know, okay, what do I do? If the decisions I make today determine how I'm remembered tomorrow, what do I need to do in order for those around me, those closest to me, thank God for me? He goes on to say, we continually remember, hey, <laughs> this is what we remember about you. This is what you're known for. This is cool, by the way. 
Don't miss this. We can continually remember before our God and Father, here's three things he remembers. Your work produced by faith. Like when you worked, when you went about what you did, you didn't just work any old way. It was infused. It was energized with faith. Then he goes on to say, your labor, your striving, your, your serving, your struggle, it was, it was prompted. It was motivated by love. And your endurance, like that perseverance, that stick to itness. You didn't just endure and grit through life and you just kind of had your teeth all tight and you go, I'm going to get through it. You endured and it was inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what he's saying here. He, he gives us a what, a what that is informed by a how, Okay, stick with me here, okay? This is going to make sense. A what informed by a how that's empowered by a who, okay? He gives us a what, what they did, work, labor, and endurance. This is what they were doing. It was informed by a how. How did they work? How did they labor? How did they go about enduring? Faith, love, and hope. This is the how that infused what they did. And yet he doesn't leave us right there. He says it's empowered by a who. All of the what's and how's that we do are always empowered by a who. Sometimes the who is you. And he's saying to live out the life you long for and to live out the life that you ultimately want to be remembered for, it needs to be empowered by a who, and that who, he says, in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's what we know. It's not just what we do, but how we do it that makes the biggest difference, right? Because you can do the right things in the wrong way, and you won't be remembered well. We often have really good intentions about things. We often have really good desires about, hey, I, I want to do this. But if we do it in the wrong way, it doesn't produce the results we want. It's like me telling my wife I love her. Well, it, how I say I love you matters, right? Okay, you're not with me. <laughs> love you. Yeah, no, no. Love you. Have a nice day. Yeah, I hope you have a great one. Those are the right words, right? Those are the right words. Massively different when the how infuses your what. When the how informs your what. I love you. No, no, no. No, I love you. Have a great, have a great day, right? It changes the entire meaning of the moment. Here's why this is so important for some. Some of you are doing the right what's, informed by the wrong house. And so your lives are producing something that you never intended. Some of you have the right what's. I long to provide for my family. I long to provide for my family. And in your provision for your family, you have misplaced the how the how to go about it. And so you're so providing, but you're not providing your presence. You're financially providing, but you're not providing yourself. 
Some of you go, I, I long to set my kids up for a better future than I had. It's great what? But in your pursuit of that what, it is not infused with the right how. And they may be the smartest, the brightest, and get into the Ivy League school, but at the end of the day, they want nothing to do with you. And some of you have been there with your parents who had the right what and the wrong how. See, what is always informed by how. And here's what Paul says. When I think of you, when I remember you, when I remember your work, and all of us work, by the way. Some of you work... um, a lot. You're workaholic. Some of you work a little. You're couch potatoes. <laughs> some of you work for pay and some of you work for free. Some actually pay to work. That's called parenting. <laughs> some of you work and it's in school. Some of you work and it's engaged in parenting at home. And here's what he says. Would you infuse the what of your work with a brand new how? faith. Faith is simply the confidence that God is who he says he is, and he'll do what he said he would do. That you would infuse faith, like this confidence that, okay, God is going to show up in the activity of my day, that I'm going to work. What what would it look like to infuse your work with faith, with with the confidence of what God, who God is, that he's actually going to show up? I, I know a couple things. I know a couple things of what that looks like. Uh, One, I think it has to do with the idea of excellence. Uh, This reality that sometimes, and this is weird, I don't get this. Some Christians kind of think that this work produced by faith, that like I just coast and trust God and go, well, I don't need to do anything. Let go and let God, hello, you know, and just let him do the thing and I do nothing. That couldn't be further from the truth. He says, in whatever you do, whether word and deed, do it all into the name of the Lord Jesus, that you would bring your best and you would do it with excellence, not for someone that you're working for and not for a paycheck because you would present it and offer it to God and say, God, I want to do this in honor of you. And I'm trusting that you're going to take what I do and inspire others through what I do, that you would do it with excellence. I I think some like working with faith, like literally means to work like with boundaries, like where you would actually trust God to provide even when you take a st- pause or a rest. And you're like, no, 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 no. This business deal is too big. These things are too intense. I can't stop. I can't take a Sabbath. I can't take a rest. I can't just set boundaries. I can't go, you know what? I'm going to work a 10-hour day and that's it. I got to work night, morning, afternoon, the whole deal. But I think it, excellence, boundaries, integrity, like working with faith, and literally one translation says, uh, let your work be energized by faith, like it's motivated by faith, that it's just like got this incredible like passion behind it. That you go, okay, working with faith is I'm going to do what's right, no matter what the cost. I'm going to be a, a woman or a man of integrity. I think that's what it means to be working by faith. I, I do think perhaps... One of the biggest areas that we work by faith is when we love others the way Jesus loved us. Like when we give to others without any strings attached. I wonder, I wonder what it would look like 
if we decided that we were going to work in such a way that would actually inspire others. Maybe set away. Because if we're going to be famous for something to the closest someone's around us, what would it look like for you to work in such a way that inspires the closest someone's in your life? Where they go, man, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. When I remember them, the way they worked and how they went about it. I think one of the ways that infuses the what's, the how's with the what's, is when we work and when we step out and we love. I think that's why Paul then goes, hey, your labor, your labor, what you did, how you labored, how you struggle, prompted, motivated by love. He'd later go on into the letter to Galatia and he'd write this, that the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. That's like any time, by the way, so any time the Bible says or the New Testament specifically says the only thing that counts, hello, stop. (laughs) Let's just pay attention here real quick. The only thing that counts, if you want to organize and prioritize your life around anything, he says the only thing that counts is faith, this confidence, this God confidence that he is who he says he is and he'll do what he said he'd do, expressing itself through love. giving others what they need the most when they deserve it the least at great personal cost. That's what love is. I love it. That's my dad's definition. I, I still use it. It's, it's exactly what love is. Love is always giving. And see, when you labor with love, it frees you. A lot of us labor and struggle out of a sense of ought or guilt, don't we? Well, I have to do this. I ought to do this. Or I feel bad and I should do this. And you know what it produces? It produces bitterness. It produces resentment. It produces even entitlement. I did X, so you have to do Y. And he says, no, no, no. Would you labor? Would, would you labor? Would you struggle? We're all going to do it. We all have areas in our life. But would you do that motivated by Love. And here's why we can't disconnect our what's in our house with the who. That definition of love, giving the other person what they need the most, when they deserve it the least, at great personal cost, is exactly how Jesus has loved you and loved me. Think about it. Giving the other person what they need the most. Forgiveness, grace, purpose, life, reconciliation, brand new, like personal, intimate relationship with the God of the universe. When they deserve it the least, at your very worst, in your darkest thoughts, when you were farther away, when, when we were a mess and we created the mess, spiritually bankrupt, at great personal cost. The cross is the exclamation point of the very love of God for you, of Jesus saying, I will take your place and die for you that you might have life. Why? Because I love you. And then it transforms how we love others. You go, no, 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 I can love you. Why? 
because there's a who in my life that has loved me so well. I can love you without strings attached. And it's not because I need something from you. I've gotten all that I ever need because I have a who in my life that has so well loved me. See, don't miss this. Your life is filled with lots of what's. Lots of them. Lots of to-dos, lots of lists. But the question is, how are you going about your what's? Because how you go about it determines, really, how you'll be remembered. And a who always is at the core of how you go about it. Sometimes the who is you. And to be honest, it produces a lot of inconsistent results, at least in my life. I don't know about you. And the invitation of God for you this morning is that when you would make the who, when you would embrace Jesus, whether you are a follower of him or you just are investigating him, when you begin to embrace him as the who, it brings life and purpose, and he begins to transform your what's and your house. I love how the New Living Translation translates this passage. It says that your, um, your, your faithful work, your loving labor, your enduring love. I love that. And I think part of what's missing today is a little bit of that. And so if you're maybe a little bit more old school, you can give an amen at this point. And if you're... Just let me know you're in with the message. You can do that too. But I think one of the things that's missing today is faithful work. Is like this loving labor, like this enduring hope where we faithfully go about what we do because we have a God who's so faithful to us. Um, my uncle Mike worked his entire life at a factory. And when it came time for him to retire, um, the factory went bankrupt. Unfortunately, all of his pension and retirement was wrapped up into that company. And so he was left with nothing. And at, at the, near the end of his life, he's still alive, so he's not dead. I don't know why I said it that way. <laughs> I just don't want to call him older, but he's older. He's older than me. He's left with nothing. Working at a grocery store doing produce. My brother, sister, and I went and visited him a couple years back and um, it was awesome. We showed up. They were so excited to see us. They had a big uh, bucket of KFC and all the fixings, you know, ready for us. Which, by the way, they didn't have a lot. That, that one meal meant way more than a flame and yawn to me, that they would provide that. Um, I think about KFC radically different as, as a result. And here's what I remember about that moment as we sat around their little kitchen table and Uncle Mike talked about the factory and the factory closing. There was no resentment. There was no complaining. There was no should have been, could have been, and I can't believe. Here's what was so powerful is when he talked about working at the grocery store and in produce. There was no bitterness. 
There was no, I can't believe I have to at this age. What was amazing is sitting around the table with Uncle Mike and my Aunt Lou Annabelle. Yes, we are very West Virginian, Pennsylvanian. Thank you very much. I remember seeing gentleness and kindness in his eyes, in his expression. I remember being caught off guard that he had a fundamental sense of gratitude even though his circumstance didn't seem to be grateful for anything. <laughs> it was kind of funny. Um, we're sitting around this table and my Aunt Lou Annabelle, you know, really likes that I'm a pastor and she's like, Brian, preach us a message. <laughs> Ryan, I'd love to hear a sermon from you. And I'm like a deer caught in headlights. I'm not even, I'm like, uh, uh, and I'm like thinking, am I going to have to preach the most awkward message of my life? And thankfully, my big brother stepped in and saved the day. But later, I couldn't help but think. I couldn't help but think. A message had already been spoken that day. And it wasn't a sermon crafted for the crowds. You know what it was? It was the sermon of a life well lived. I thank God for Mike. Thank God for Mike. He's not famous. You'll never know him. And yet, in that one moment, I learned more about what it looks like to be a man my kids would say thank God for than almost any other moment in my life. And the reality for you and the reality for me is we will be famous for something to the closest someone's in our life. And we get to determine, we get to choose to infuse our what's with faith, hope, love, empowered by Christ. Um, this morning, I want to close with hope. Hope is the confident expectation of a better tomorrow. That's what hope is. Dallas Willard defines it this way, the joyous anticipation of good. We've all been around people who endure in life, who persevere, and yet have no hope, haven't we? They're miserable to be around. They're the living, breathing Eeyores of our life. Woe is me. I can't believe. As Christians, we should be the most joy-filled, hopeful people on the planet. Our hope isn't in a political system. Our hope isn't in a housing or stock market. Our hope isn't even in somehow attaining global peace. Our hope is in a who? Jesus. 
our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can have hope for the future because Jesus has promised a better tomorrow. And you may ask, well, how good is that promise? Christianity was founded by a carpenter turned rabbi a little over 2,000 years ago who made an incredible claim that he was going to die. He predicted his own death. Now, that's not too hard. We can all do that. The hard part is to predict your resurrection. And then he came back to life. Christianity hinges, by the way, this is so good, and this is the reason if you're not a follower of Jesus, just investigate this. Christianity hinges not on a religious philosophy, but a historical event. It was birthed in the very epicenter of where Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses who could have squashed it in a moment. Christianity was birthed because a dead man rose back to life and he predicted it and he made claims that he indeed was God. And if you put your faith in him, you can experience hope now and forevermore. We have hope because Jesus has promised us a better future and he's already made good on what he said. Think about this. The early church was marked by an unshakable hope. Not because, check this, don't miss this, not because they believed in Jesus. The early church was marked with an unshakable hope because they saw the risen Savior and so gave their lives for that hope. They would be marched into Colosseums because Rome was start trying to stomp out this movement. And they would put animal skins on them so that the, the wild animals, the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, yes, would be more vicious and ferocious in their attack of them. For the crowds. When a plague would hit a city, as it often did, people would run and flee. But Christians had an unshakable hope that death is not the end because they had a risen, victorious Savior that death did not defeat. And so they would run into those cities at great cost to themselves and care for the people that were left behind. See, our hope isn't in a what. Our hope is in a who. And as we close this morning, that little phrase, in our Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't a message about somehow you try harder and do better. 
So many of us want to somehow get the right information so that we can have a better life. The gospel is this. Jesus brings transformation so that you can have a radically new life. And he will empower you. He will empower you to live out the hows and the whats. And this morning, just as we close, and if you wouldn't mind just praying with me, I just want to give a moment to respond. And for some, you're in this spot where you just go, Yeah, the what's in my life need to change and the how's need to change. I'm a follower of Jesus, but today I, I want to say I've accepted him as Savior, but not Lord. See, when, when you embrace him as Lord, you say, God, you can have all of me. You experience the empowering work of the Spirit of God inside you to empower you to live out a new life. And you go, I have tried to do it my way. The who I've been resting on is me, and I want to rest on and trust in the who that is the risen Savior. And you're just here this morning, and, and you're a follower of Jesus, and you just realize, man, I want to be known for person of faith, love, and hope. And today, I realize the what's in the how's need to adjust, and so I'm going to re-fix my eyes on the who. Would you just raise your hand? Just close your eyes for me, if you wouldn't mind. Just raise your hand. You're right there. You, you need to respond to what God's doing in your life. Very cool. God, I pray for my brothers and sisters this morning that are they're in a place of stepping into a new reality. I ask that you would just flood them with your presence, that they would surrender afresh to you, that they'd experience your empowering work to live out a new what by a new how. For some this morning, as I talked about who Jesus is, you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus. And the what's and the how's, man, they're all mixed up. But more than anything, you need a who. You need a Savior says that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And you just go, God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I don't know how it all works, but I believe you came, you love me, like gave your best for me at my worst. And you rose again that I might have life. And so I'm giving you my life in return. Would you give me a new life? And if that's where you're at this morning, would you just raise your hand? Would you just pull, hold it up high so I can see? Praise God. Where else? Praise God. Keep it up high. Thank you. Praise God. And it's not a, a prayer that's... But it's just simply the invitation, Jesus, would you come into my life and make me new? I'm trusting you from this day forward. And God says he will empower you and give you a brand new life. Hmm. What do you remember? Your labor 
produced by faith, your love prompted by love. And your endurance inspired by hope. In the Lord Jesus Christ. God, thank you.